So last week, Jack uh, covered several, a wide swath of, of, um, of the Old Testament in there. He, his kind of overall kind of theme in there was a message to God's prophets in the time of scriptural decay, or spiritual de- de- decay. So this, there's this idea that, that we've been kind of following through the, the story of uh, the Lord of, of, through the Old Testament, through creation, through the fall, through... Um, all Genesis, Exodus, all those different things, and now we've gotten into kind of the thick of it, or maybe even more towards the end of it. And before we get going too too far along, I thought that we should warm up with maybe a few questions and see if anybody knows the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet. The size of your book? Yeah, I, I was really disappointed when I found that out. Finally, like a major prophet means like they're like major. Now they just wrote more, so like that's how it's <laughs> divided: is major prophet, minor prophet. Um, I think of Daniel as a major prophet, but he's smaller than some some of the major prophets. Yeah, he's smaller than some of the minor prophets. Yeah, so I, I some of those things are you know how we like New Testament, Old Testament. It's actually New Covenant, Old Covenant. So it's some of our, our language that we've kind of pulled out throughout the years is, is kind of interesting. Um, I was listening to a, a summary of the Bible by the Babylon Bee. I don't know if any of y'all follow them. But uh, <laughs> when he gets to the Minor Prophets, uh, he, his summary is, it's not Jonah, so you can skip it. Um, so, which I kind, of, I kind of laughed at, but also said, that's, that's how I live life. Um, <laughs> But as, as I've dug into the, kind of the summary of these, and, and we're going to get into a lot of the context and kind of the things that are going on around uh, as, as we get these, because I, I think it helps us to really understand uh, as we go, you know, the, the, kind of the purpose of this class is if you're going through your Bible reading and you get to, you know, Nahum, like what, what, what am I looking at here? What, how is this going to help me? How do, I, how do I read this? How do I... How am I encouraged by it, or how am I discouraged by it in some of these? Um, but as, as we look at these, uh, it, it helps to have that, that background. So we, we looked at, at, you know, Jack's gotten us through, so we're going to go back just a little bit as a refresher this morning. But we, we went through Judges, we went or through the Exile, went through the Judges, and then we've seen King David come on, and then uh, who's King David's son? Solomon, and so Solomon's king, and then what happens after King Solomon dies? So then we, we like, what happens to the kingdom? Sorry, I'm, I'm it's split. So we've got, a, 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 it's really easy to remember northern and southern, but then it gets really difficult to remember, like, how all that works, um, at least in my mind. So that's around 975 B.C., the kingdoms divide into the northern and southern kingdom. And I, I try to get a map, um, so that's this one right here, is, it gives you kind of a picture of the, of the northern and southern. And so we have ten tribes that go to the northern kingdom, and two tribes remain in the southern kingdom in Judah. Um, what, did, what did the southern kingdom have that the northern kingdom did not have? Jerusalem, the temple. So a place to worship the Lord. Uh, what else did the northern kingdom have, or did the southern kingdom have that the northern kingdom didn't have, particularly in leadership? <clears throat> Land of David. Land of David, and particularly like quality of, of leadership. Oh, good kings. Yeah. So there was no good kings in the northern kingdom, and there was only a few good kings in in the southern kingdom. And we use good with like quotation. <laughs> um, so there's this there's this idea of we see a difference and. I think it's it's interesting, you know, some of the aspects of if, I, if you look um, 
I think as I was studying this, somebody mentioned uh, in one of the things I was, is there were no synagogues at the time. Like that just wasn't a thing. And so there was no place to gather. There was no place to worship. Uh, and so all of a sudden as idol worship starts coming up, people start gravitating to these different things. And I, I think it's it's kind of a cultural aspect for us to keep in mind as as we're starting to see these two kingdoms vary from each other, particularly the wickedness, and the wickedness happens in the southern kingdom as well. But there's a there's this there's this idea of the hardening parts, all these different things. But in our minds, I think we use our like, oh, it's kind of like us, you know. They had different like little church gatherings and all that type of stuff. But it meant a whole lot that the that the northern kingdom didn't have a place to go worship, and they they try and figure that out. And different leaders are doing different things. But the southern kingdom had that, and they they rest a lot on that having that place to worship. And we'll we'll talk about that later. But there's um, there's a, some different aspects that that kind of work through that. Um, so as we as we look at that, the northern kingdom it falls uh, in the year 722. Uh, Jack went through all all those prophets uh, last week, but they're taken into captivity by Assyria, uh, and the capital of that of Assyria at the time is is Nineveh. Uh, and that's going to come into play as we start looking at these. But then in the southern kingdom, the prophets that were, were talking there um, was Isaiah and Micah. Uh, so a lot of the, as we get into the minor prophets and the major prophets in this time period, it's really difficult because we like to think of everything very logically and, and laid out really smoothly for us. But if you read straight through the Bible, that's not how it works. Um, they're, they're kind of in there, kind of intermixed, uh, and a lot of them are happening at the same time. And so... They might be speaking to different parts, or they might be people that are your friends or associates of each other. Um, so we're, we'll try it and get through that. So what we're going to try and do is, is go through kind of the, the time. So we're counting down because it's back before Christ. So we're going to start as, as far away and then work towards uh, the fall of the southern kingdom, uh, just as a heads up on that. Um, you want to turn to Second Chronicles um, 36, 14 through 21. We're not going to get into too much into Chronicles because that's, I think, next week. Um, some more of this history, but I think it helps us understand kind of where uh, the culture has gone uh, in the southern kingdom and helps us understand, uh, kind of set the stage for what these different... Um, individuals are facing again as they as they are prophets in in the land second chronicles 36 14 and then we're going to go to 21 did, did i miss something are you so you're going chronologically with the prophets so we're 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 looking particularly these are all southern kingdom but we're going to start in nahum and then we're going to go and end in obadiah okay so Yes. Yes. Gotcha. And I say that because it's kind of like, sure. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I, I'll, I'll go ahead and give the, the warning up front that, like, the amount of knowledge that I've tried to cram into this little brain of mine, and, like, it, it's, like, dripped out all the way down the stairs and up to this point. If I, if I miss something or if say something, feel free to, to ask and be like, hmm. Uh, did you really mean that? And I, I'm totally okay with that. Um, so we're in Second Chronicles 36, uh, 14 through 21. It says, All the officers and the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. They polluted the house of the Lord he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord 
the God of, the er- of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising the words, despising his words, and scoffing his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword of their house, of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on the young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand, into the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, princes, and all he brought to Babylon. And he burned the house of God, and broke down the walls of Jerusalem, and burned all the the palaces with fire and and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants of him to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord in his mouth of Jermahel, until the land he had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days lay desolate and kept a Sabbath until seventy years." So that's kind of the, the summary of what we're going to cover in, in kind of a nutshell. of uh, The first part is the Lord is faithful. He's asking um, his people to, to be faithful. They're not. So he sends these prophets in to, to remind them, uh, and they keep mocking, and so judgment comes. Uh, and so there's, there's, a, there's an interesting you know, dynamic that we're, that we're wrestling with through this. Uh, so with that said, we're going to look at our first one. Uh, first prophet here is Nahum, uh, and if we look at this, uh, each one of the prophets, their name kind of has a, an interesting kind of thing that goes with it. Nahum's uh, name means comfort, uh, and so there's some question of, of what comfort he's bringing or to who, um, but interesting thing about Nahum, and it's one of those ones if you I think the, the older I get, the more I realize that I study stuff, and then I realize, oh, I forgot that, or and then I, I trick myself into thinking, well, maybe I did study that, and I was smart enough, but I just forgot it. So I, I don't know. I was It was really encouraging, I think, or interesting to re, reread some of the stuff and be reminded of it. So um, when we look at Nahum, it's, it's particularly talking about the judgment given um, that's coming to uh, the, the city of Nineveh. Uh, And so it's helpful for us to understand a little bit of the context before that. Um, There's, in Nahum, it it talks about um, that that, uh, Nineveh is going to look like uh, this this town of Thebes, or city of Thebes in Egypt, that happened 13 years before. There was uh, thought of this town, or the city is, you know, perfectly defend, or it has this amazing defense system. It can't be taken away, and yet it's taken away, um, and that was talked about in Jeremiah 46, uh, verses tw- verse 25, but, so that's just some context. Also, uh, what, do, what do we know about uh, Nineveh? What some of our, Jack probably talked about some last week, but what, what, do, we, what do we know about Nim- uh, Nineveh? It's a big city, I've got typically a day to walk across it or something like that. Three days is what is what they say. I don't know at, at what rate and if they're using like Google Maps or anything, but th- three days is what they say to, to get across it. That included the metro, <coughs> metro area. Yeah. So what else? What else do we know? What what kind of context have we been given with? They repented. They repented to who? He talked, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Jonah. So Jonah, there was the whole, he didn't want to go. Why did, why did Jonah not want to go to the city of Nineveh? They were bad people. Uh, were they kind of bad? or Exceedingly wicked. Um, and so Jonah didn't want to go, and then he does go, and then what do they do? They repented. And what did, what did Jonah do? Pitched a fit. He, he pouted. He went up and pouted. And then um, I think if Jonah had been alive to read the, the book of Nahum, he would, have, he would have rested a lot more comfortably afterwards. Um, so there's the exceedingly wicked. Uh, this is the capital of Assyria. So over you know, the past century, Assyria has continued to grow up, and it's, uh, it's continued to develop into this, this massive power. Uh, and so as they're taking and conquering things, they're, they're bringing all the spoils of war back to, uh, to Nineveh. Interestingly enough, uh, been, or Nineveh's been around for a long time. Uh, does anybody know who, who started the, the city of Nineveh? Nimrod. That was a oh, bonus point or star for you. That's, yeah, so Nimrod, after the flood, started it. Uh, side note, I, I told Jessica our next, if we ever have a, another boy, I'm naming him Nimrod. Um, <laughs> Bugs Bunny ruined that for us. But, um, so, so that's after the flood. Spoils of war have been there. The, the city itself, um, Jonah had come to 100 years before, and so there's, there's been some time that's passed between when Jonah showed up, when he... You know, it says, hey, and you know, there was this massive repentance. The, the city itself is one that, um, you know, many people would be in awe of even to this day if they saw it, you know, in fully functional. The, the walls were 100 feet tall. Uh, there were three chariots wide, so you could ride three chariots on the, on the top of these walls. Um, the way that they had it positioned uh, was they had... Um, I forgot, I think it was a Tigris River going in front of it, but they basically used a moat system or a channel system to make it like an island. So to be able to get up and to, to take it down, uh, you, would, you would have to cross the water. And so that was a, a real big thing. Um, they also inside of it had multiple palaces, libraries, uh, gardens, uh, and even a zoo. Uh, and like what he was saying, it takes three days to, to get across it. So this is a, a massive thing. And in that, not only was there wickedness, but there was this idea of, hey, this, this city can never be taken down. This is, uh, this is massive, and um, whatever, you know, it, 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 it's this, um, this kind of crazy thing that just even the idea of it is, is mocking God, that, that even, even God couldn't even take this down. So that's kind of the, the thought process of Nineveh before we, we even start. But then all of a sudden we're introduced uh, to uh, this prophet uh, who, who comes in and uh, he's unknown. So there's, there's not really a whole lot known about him. And he comes from a place that we don't really know either. So this nobody all of a sudden shows up on the scene and he uh, starts speaking uh, and saying things that's going to happen to this town. Uh, can somebody read um, Nahum uh, chapter 1 verse 1 for me? An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, son of Josh. Sounds good. And so, uh, where, who, like, at what authority is this man just all of a sudden speaking? Is what we're going to try and derive from that verse there. Maybe. 
He's a prophet of God, speaking the word of God. Yeah, so so while he's an unknown man from an unknown place, all of a sudden he comes out and he starts speaking with the authority of God, saying, hey, uh, I, I'm about to say some things, and it's not my words, but these are the, are the, are the Lord, Lord's words. And so there's a certain amount of uh, authority that is given here. Um, and in that, we see uh, it's a shorter, it's a shorter um, minor prophet. It's only got three, three different chapters in it. And so you can look through the, the outline here um, that the first thing that Nahum does uh, is he, he's identifying the problem that's going on in Nineveh, that there's this exceedingly wicked nation, uh, there's this exceedingly wicked, wicked city, and, you know, as, as, as Jonah looked at it, he was pretty upset. Like, why on earth, and that's going to be kind of one of the overwhelming themes, is as we look around this world and as we see all these kingdoms rise up and all this evil, where's God in the midst of this? Like, why, why would God send Jonah to, to all of a sudden bring about repentance? And it's like, well, there was repentance, so that was a good thing. But it didn't really last very long. It's, you know, about like the Israelites, 100 years, and then we're back to the same place again. Um, so there's this, there's this kind of understanding of it. And one of the, the um, commentators that I was reading uh, was pointing out here that it, it's helpful for us to understand how the, the Nahum approaches problems that he sees in the world. And so if we look at, at chapter one, the first thing that we see is he looks to God. Uh, my natural reaction when I start seeing problems with the world is I look at the problems, I start analyzing the problems, I start complaining about the problems, I start griping about the problems, and then I feel completely overwhelmed and the problems just continue on. And then when I'm completely exhausted, I look to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand why you're, why you're allowing me to feel this way about life. Um, but Nahum, on the opposite, he first looks to the Lord and says, hey, I'm going to look to the Lord first. And so there's this beautiful um, way in which he, he goes through uh, in verses 2 through 8 here. He looks at the, the justice, the power, and then the mercy of God um, in which he goes through here. Um, one of the things that we need to, to look at is when we look at uh, the judgment of God uh, on particularly wicked people, um, do we see that as, as mercy or do we see that as just judgment? What do y'all think? Somebody posed that question as I was reading and I thought, oh, that, was a, that was an interesting one. My knee jerk is, is justice, but I know there's always balance with mercy. So would it be, both. it's both, it's, it's kind of the, it's one of those trick questions. So yes, so if, if uh, would it be merciful uh, for God to never judge the wicked? So like in the end, in the end when the Lord comes and he judges, like there's this idea that judgment is actually merciful because he's actually protecting those that he's being merciful to. And so uh, there, there's a, a lot more that we could probably draw out of that, but we're going to keep skimming on. So uh, then as we continue on, 9 through 15, um, we see more about uh, God. His, his justice there, uh, he notices the wicked, uh, he confounds the wicked, he delivers his people from the wicked. Um, and then chapter 2 switches into these uh, really specific ways in which um, Nineveh is the judgment, and it, it comes upon, uh, and then chapter 3, uh, in their, uh, this, is, this is way ahead of time, but it's describing in detail how all these things work, which is another one that um, 
a lot of people will look at and they say, well, you know, there's no way that this happened ahead of time. There's no way uh, that this is, is there. But even as, as I think it was about 200 years ago, if you went back 200 years and you asked some kind of theologian or historian where Nineveh was, they hadn't found it yet. They didn't know where it was. And they were like, we don't even know if Nineveh was a real thing. Um, but throughout all of all of the the research and everything, they've ended up finding Nineveh. But it's been destroyed so much that it's it's this kind of like little bump, you know type deal. Uh, and so there's this interesting um, detail of, of how all of a sudden the river floods that was supposed to be protecting it, and it just wipes out two walls. Uh, and all of a sudden, it's just left open, and then they can just kind of like go in and, and ransack the place. And so they uh, continue to pull all these amazing resources and riches out, but Nineveh, I think at one point, is described as locusts uh, in that, that are in the morning. And so it's, it's cold outside, they're frozen, and they're there. And then all of a sudden, the sun warms, and it, it wakes them up, and then they just fly away, and there's no, there's no record, there's nothing. It's just, it's just gone. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the overwhelm, overwhelming feeling we get, and that's how it's described of Nineveh and the judgment of it. Um, and so that, that all is happening... Uh, at the early part of, of our time period that we're looking at, um, and that was around uh, 660 B.C., uh, and somewhere there between 660 and 630. And then as we continue on, we, we move on to our next one, Zephaniah. Uh, and so his name is there, uh, Yahweh has hidden, or Yahweh has treasured. Um, and so this one is a little bit further along, 640 to uh, 609, um, when Judah was uh, ruled by Josiah. Um, and so what do, we, what do we know about Josiah? He was a good king. What, what made him a, a good king? Isn't he the one who discovered the, well, the scriptures were presented to him, and he said he didn't follow the scriptures. Yeah, so he, he the, the book of the law was found, and he, he actually read it instead of cutting it up and burning it, which was a good thing. Uh, we'll get to that later. But he also, even before that had, had been found, he was the one that started pulling things down, started trying to return different things. The book was found because it was renovating yeah. and helping build up the temple. Because he was, he was doing good things. Um, so uh, Zephaniah, interestingly enough, uh, his... We read in here that his grandfather was King Hezekiah, another good, another good king, uh, and so we're we're moving a little bit, you know, through the these kings here. Uh, Hezekiah's uh, son was ruling, um, so we have Hezekiah, then we have Manasseh, and then we have um, we have Josiah in there. That's that's kind of the the order in which um, these things are are kind of coming through. Um, so as we have. Hezekiah, Manasseh comes on the scene, and was he a good king or a bad king? Manasseh, bad king. Bad king, except for at the end. So apparently he got captured by the Assyrians, somehow ended up in Babylonia, Babylonian captivity, and then somehow makes it back. And at the end, there's this kind of like revival of, oh, okay, maybe, maybe this is a good thing. Underneath Manasseh, though, was when Isaiah was sawn in two, and so lots of... Lots of crazy stuff going on there, um, but we see that there's a there's a remnant that's been going all along uh, through this. Um, interestingly enough, when Zephaniah was was growing up, um, he was the grandson, um, like I said, of, of Hezekiah. Um, but when he was 
nine, there was another another person that was, or so yeah, I think when he was nine, when Zephaniah was nine, Josiah was born. So that's kind of like an interesting kind of thing that goes with it. And then when he turned 10, Jeremiah was born. So these are kind of helps us get some handholds and kind of figure out where, where we're going along. Um, and then, so we've got those, those three kind of characters all going at the same time. We've got um, Josiah, we've got Zephaniah, and we also have Jeremiah all, all kind of going along. Um, and it helps us kind of realize that God hasn't just fully abandoned his people, but there's this, there's the, the kind of the catalyst, you know, and some people describe this as like the first Reformation, not like the, the one that we celebrate on Reformation Day, but this is like the the preemptive of God is, is raising up these different people that are going back to the to the Lord. Uh, they're over and over again um, starting to see these things, but all these people are being put into place, and they're all kind of in this leadership positions, and they're all ready to, to go. Um, this is way too much information. I'm trying to figure out what to, what to, to cut out here. Um, so along with, with that, we see that Zephaniah um, is, is preaching. So Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah is, is starting to preach. We also have Zephaniah is starting to preach, and we have Josiah. So Josiah, like we, we said before, he's one, when he comes on the scene, does anybody remember how old he was when he he's eight? So, so Jeremiah, he turns eight, he starts realizing, hey, I need to, I need to be a, a, a better king here. I need to do these things. And so he starts pulling all these, all these things. And at that same time, Zephaniah is starting to preach. And if we look at um, the outline, we can see the different things that he starts uh, to, to preach here. And it helps us kind of understand why Reformation has happened. And so you've got somebody that's called from the Lord. You've got a king in place that's starting to to do different things, but then you also have these people that are that are proclaiming the truth that's going on. We see uh, some really helpful ways in which that can bring uh, God's people back to Him. So um, we see in here that sin brings uh, God's judgment. Judgment is certain for for God's people. Judgment will be the form of uh, invasion. Judgment is terrible. Uh, and if we just keep going on through that outline, uh, whenever sin is found, God will judge. There's a call to repentance. Uh, then we see that uh, God isn't just looking at uh, his small group of people, but he's looking at, at the world. It's, it's, it's oftentimes, as we look at the Bible, I think we can really narrow our focus in and think that nothing else is happening in the world. Um, and just think small of God, but then at the same time, as we read this, we see that no, God is, is the God of the universe, and so there's there's all these other things, and so there's these the Philistines, the uh, Amorites, the east, the south, the north, and then uh, at the end, he, he centers in and he uh, he talks about the sin of God's people, uh, and then he doesn't. The interesting thing about Zephaniah is he doesn't um, just leave everybody in this terrible state is at the end, um, in 3, verses 9 through 20, there's this, this uh, restoration, this idea of, of bringing out, um, like there's a purpose to the judgment that brings God's people back. Um, again, we're flying along here. But next, um, we look at Habakkuk. Um, we preached a sermon series on this a while back, um, and I, I had never really uh, talked about it or thought about it or studied it much, but... I was amazed at how much I had forgotten already from a couple years ago. But 
Habakkuk uh, is another one that we don't know too much about. Uh, his name is the Embracer, uh, and some people would say that, that, that maybe it's not the best name for it, but that was uh, one that people have pretty much settled on. So we, we've moved a little a bit along in the time timeline, so we're 609 to, to 598, uh, and we get a picture of uh, this prophet, and he um, is a man that has all of a sudden been shown that the Chaldeans, which is also the Babylonians, are, are coming. We read about the culture, we read about the whole 70 years, all this type things are coming, um, and we see that there's this conversation that happens uh, in the first two chapters between Habakkuk and God. As we're reading it, it's, it's a really kind of interesting book just to sit there and read, because you see this dialogue back and forth, and what's, uh, anybody know what the, the main kind of question, what's the, the real issue that Habakkuk's wrestling with uh, in, in, this, in this book? Why are you going to judge us? Everybody else is worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, judgment is coming. Okay, maybe we need the judgment, but why are you going to use them? Like, they're way worse than us. How can you use somebody that's way worse than us uh, to, to judge us? Like, it's okay if a hurricane comes, but like the Babylonians, like what, what's the point? Like there's this, this back and forth um, idea that keeps coming. Um, one of the, the great uh, verses that we get out of Habakkuk 2.4 is, um, Behold, uh, his soul is puffed up and is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. And that's like the, the, the gem in the middle of this book. Um, it's quoted three times in the, in the New Testament uh, in Romans. Uh, Galatians and, and Hebrews, and it helps us uh, to understand this this idea of living by faith. Um, and for time, we're going to just keep scooting on. Uh, so if we look through the outline of the Bible, just going through that, um, trying not to, to see this, the introduction is uh, he's shown uh, this, this burden. Uh, and so when we think of a burden, uh, what, what do we normally, like, I normally instantly go to, to the uh, Pilgrim's Progress, but um, when, we, when we look at this at the beginning, the open, it talks about a burden. What, what is it that, um, when, you're, when you're saying, do you want to be shown a burden, what's our natural response? No. <laughs> I don't want to see it, much less do I want to touch it, much less do I want to be around it. Uh, and so in the introduction, we'll show that there's this burden that comes on, um, there's this, um, the complaints, all those, I won't reread it because y'all have it all right there. Um, but as, as he goes through these different things, um, the, there's a, there's an idea of this, this judgment that comes, but particularly helpful at the end of the, the book, it doesn't, it doesn't leave us just completely hanging and feeling bad again. It's this idea of uh, there's the, the triumph of faith at the end. There's this reminder that, that God is doing these things. And it's not that Babylonians won't ever be judged for what they're doing. He's using them for a season and what they're doing. Um, it was interesting as I was reading this, um, it was uh, about it. There was a commentator from the 70s, and he was talking about how uh, you know, in those, I think in the middle of the Cold War and all those different things, and he's like, you know, this might be why the Lord is raising up the communists to bring judgment and to, to, you know, he's like, you know, they've killed millions of people, they're doing all these terrible things, but we're doing terrible things too, and it might be, and so there's this, this constant ten tension that goes back and forth as we start to, to look at these things. Um, so that's, that's Habakkuk, uh, and as we, as we 
fly right along uh, Jeremiah. This is the, the longest one that we'll be looking at. Um, Jeremiah's name means the Lord exalts. Um, the interesting about Jeremiah, um, he covers a very long uh, piece of scripture. And so we've talked about him a little bit, but he, he actually was, was on the scene for five different kings. I uh, started in 640, uh, the first king, and then all the way to the exile uh, at the end. Zekhildedek, um, I can't pronounce the names. Um, and so we see, we see this really long thing. One of the other things that we also see, there's, some, there's four people that come onto the scene while he's, while he's um, being a, a prophet. What, uh, anybody guess who those, those four people are? We'll hear about them later in a, in a different book. Have a guess. This is like way out there. If I told you Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel are all kind of on the scene when he's coming on the scene, and they're exiled to Babylon. Uh, one of the things that we oftentimes forget is it wasn't just a once and done thing where Babylon came in. They came in a couple times, and they would come in, and they would pull people out, and then they would come back and do it again. So there's this huge back and forth. Um, and it's particularly difficult because if you want to sit down and read the book of Jeremiah, uh, we in our in our mindset is we want to read like a story. So if you open up Jeremiah and you start at chapter 1, verse 1, and you read all the way through, um, you're going to be really disappointed because it's not the story like we want. It's got all these different ways uh, to, to look at it. And um, a couple of the people that I looked at said basically... There's two different ways that you can you can read it or study it. Uh, the first one is you can look at it as the different forms of literature that they contain. So you can look at the, those different things. And one of the best ways for, for kind of your own study is for you to be able to understand uh, the prophet's life. So the different experiences he has throughout life, um, and there's six main sections in which he does that, uh, and the time periods of his life helps kind of bring all these things together. Um, and so that's... We're going to try and fly through that and see see what that looks like. We see um, in those, and I think that's on the outline there. There's let's see if I can. so we look at that first part. There's it's got one, two, three, four, five, six, and then different dates from it uh, from the call of Jeremiah to the beginning uh, to the finding of the book of the law. Uh, like we were already talking about in those um, in that uh, the year 20, uh, 626 to 621 from the call of Jeremiah um, to this book. So we see at the beginning, Jeremiah is already trying to do, um, so Jeremiah's doing that, but at the same time, we've got Josiah who's already doing these amazing things, trying to bring back to the Lord, but then there's the book of the law uh, that's found in it. Um, and so as we... As we look, one of the things that we see about Jeremiah is what what is his what's the title that normally is given to Jeremiah as he's the weeping, the weeping prophet. Okay, um, and so there's there's all kinds of different descriptors of him, but one of the things that that I as I started to study this and was thinking about is like he's he's the faithful prophet. Like he he continually goes up against all these different things, all these uh, these these horrible circumstances. Um, over and over again, but he continues to just, just plug along. And a lot of that, um, you can say, well, he's just a really faithful guy. But when you start to read through his call of him coming in in chapters 1 through 3, you start to, particularly in chapter 1, you start to see how the Lord really 
pulls him out. Like there's this whole conversation he has with the Lord. And it always makes me wonder, like as a side note, like did he like talk with the Lord in a dream or was that just like, you know, like how did, how did that work that he then, like it's kind of like this Moses thing where all of a sudden he, he's like, Hey, you know, you're going to come do this. And he's like, "Ah, I don't, I'm not really, I'm young. I'm not really experienced. I don't, I don't have any like seminary training or anything. And the Lord's like, no, you're going to do this and you're going to be faithful. You're going to go through all these things. Um, and God tells him he's going to do it, uh, over and over again. He, he remains faithful throughout the whole thing. Um, and particularly we see, I think in chapter one, verse 13, that the Lord wants him to, to proclaim that, uh, the, the people have committed two evils. They've forsaken, uh, the fountain of living waters and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so there's, there's this idea of uh, what Jeremiah is coming up against, and he um, he continues to be faithful over and over again in doing this. As we as we look at all of these, I think one of the overarching themes that we're seeing is it, it, it kind of harkens us back to the Israelites when they're leaving the land of Egypt. Is we see that there's this this softening of Pharaoh's heart, heart, and then all of a sudden there's this hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and so. We'll see throughout many of the minor prophets as you're reading them. It's like there's this softening, but then like as soon as the Lord like relents, like they could just go right back. And it's it's really frustrating to to read. Um, it's like listening to or reading like Samson. It's like Delilah, she's gonna kill you. Like don't don't do it. But it just keeps happening. It's a picture of our hearts. You know, as soon as the Lord takes the pressure off on affliction for me, I forget. And then I go back to, hey, everything's going good, so I got this handled. Yeah. I'm glad you said that, because I didn't want to. <laughs> no. Um, no so that's... The other thing about reading Jeremiah and all the prophets over the years is, I, there's times when I go, guys, just repent. What, what is wrong with you? Don't you see this coming? And it's the same thing for me. It's like, Bill, just repent. And we don't. So let's take a, a quick rabbit trail and make this kind of personal as, we, as we're thinking through these. Because I want y'all to be able to leave with some some stuff that you can actually grab with you, and you can read outlines and stuff. But what as as we look at this in our own lives, like how do how are we applying this? Not just knowledge wise, but how do we look at, at what um, the Southern Kingdom and all these kings and all these things went through, and then prophets saying all these things? How do we read this and apply it to our lives? Like what are what are we up against? Um, are there any similarities in our culture today versus what maybe we're experiencing back then? <coughs> One thing that strikes me or, or sticks out to me is, <clears throat> you know, Jeremiah, he preached from, his ministry was from the, the Reformation time of finding the book of law all the way to their destruction. And so he, he wrote it down, basically. <laughs> um, and what a frustrating time to be a minister, to be called to preach to people, to repent and such, and watching it <clears throat> not happen. Um, was he a failure? No. No. Uh, he preached God's message faithfully, and um, and that's what we're called to do. Um, yeah. As we go out and have ministry, as we look at society around us going more and more uh, crazy, um, we just need to be faithful and continue to trust the Lord and uh, preach His Word faithfully. So, any, any other thoughts? Any other I was talking to T before we started, and I always wondered about uh, what really is meant of a 
truly repented. Mm -hmm. But then, as we read, I realized that that was several generations later that they had, you know, fallen into great sin again. So it's a reminder of what we're called to do to teach the next generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think for me, like children's ministry wise, like that's one of the ones like my my there's a. I mean, any any dad in here or grandfather would would want the next generation. It's like, what's the what's the best thing that I can give to the next generation? It's just my faith, like hopefully a better faith than than what I have. But what we see in this is there's a deterioration instead of you know a, a growing. Like the hope is, I'll teach you and you'll develop more, you'll dig in deeper, and then you'll desire more and you'll grow, and we'll see a continual thing that comes out of it. But instead, we see this like each generation. Over and over again in scriptures, we see this. It's it just gets more and more watered down until the end, uh, in which it's like, does even anybody even remember uh, what's it going on? Reminds me of Jack's comment. Reminds me of Jonathan Edwards. I mean, they threw him out of his church. Yeah, it's like we're not going to have this anymore. Yeah, and it was the next generation. And I, I think over and over again we see that there's there's cultural cultural shifts that allow us to, to further and further walk away from these different things. And the Lord will raise up this remnant or these people that will come in and speak faithfully. Some will be really effective in ministry and others, like there's times where, where Jeremiah is like saying things and people will listen to him. Um, but then there's other times where they're like, we don't really like what you're saying. We're going to throw you in the pit. Like, so there's, you know, it's like, here's a man that's been called by the Lord, been gifted by the Lord, who is equipped and has truth to speak. Like, you know, I, I preach and there's certain you know, aspects of when you preach, you're, you know, you're exhorting through God's word and doing these different things. But I haven't had a conversation with the Lord, like where he's like, hey, you should be, you should be a preacher. Like, no, no, you should be a preacher. And I'm going to be, the, you know, like, it, like that hasn't happened. There's, you know, there's a calling there. But the, the fact that that's how he started ministry and it's like, well, Lord, what, like, Aren't I going to be fruitful? And so there's, you know, like Jack was saying, there's oftentimes, where, what do we see with the fruit of it? Um, oftentimes that's not for us to judge. Yeah, as Paul says, you know, I planted, Apollos watered. Yeah. But God makes it grow. Yeah. And uh, the growth is totally up to him whether it happens or not. We just are called to be faithful. And you see that in the life of Jeremiah. Yeah. You also see the role of the apostate church because they, uh, you know, he says over and over time, you know, they keep saying peace, peace, but there's no peace. Yeah. All right. So we'll we'll try and jump back in and and go through these. So if we look at um, so we'll look at the first one. We kind of looked at the calling. The second one, um, they find the book of the law. Uh, we see the the death of Josiah, and um, then after that, we see there's a, a shift of of a, of the 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 kingship here and all that um, so that's in chapters four through six uh, is is this section and it's really hard because when you look at these like they're all like all over the place and so if you look at it this way it's it's, it's helpful to just have it in the back of your mind but to like read it that way is not necessarily helpful uh, as as well but uh, we see in there that um, that Jeremiah is particularly starting to see that there's a lot of outward signs going on um, but then there's these the, the inward signs of the heart uh, are, are really hard. And I think even in, in our own culture, a lot of times we see, you know, there's the Great Awakenings, there's the Reformation, there's all these different things, but oftentimes there's there's outward where people get, you know, behind a movement, 
Uh, they get all in, in excited and they're moving along with people. Um, my daughter just went and served at a, at a thing for youth and it was like this big like youth gathering and they had all these churches and they brought everybody in and they had raffles and these cool games and all these different things and at the end they had this like gospel call and they're like, you know, we're, you know, and they got every, everybody's like raising their hand like, yeah, and they're like moving through and she came home because she's never been used to any of that before and was like, it was weird, Dad. Like they were just pushing for these these conversions, and then afterwards it was like, did they were they? And it's like, yeah, like there's there's this outward this movement towards, hey, I I want something better. I want what can you know this this peace, this encouragement. But they're not finding true peace. Their hearts really not changed. But there's just a discontentment with society and where we're at. And I I think that's huge where we are now. Um, currently is is there's a whole lot of people that just don't understand what's going on in the world there's discontentment in it and um there's there's these movements every now and then but in it it's like are these true movements are these movements that where the heart's really changing uh, and only i think the lord can well i know only the lord can change uh, the hearts but in it is you know only the lord seeing if hearts are truly being changed in it um so we we see that uh we see that to break uh, up the Jeremiah's being called in this section here to, to break up the, the fallow ground and, and to plant true seeds that uh, will hopefully bring about uh, the change of hearts, not just the change of, of attitudes or, or actions on the outside. Uh, if we continue on in the, the next one, eight, uh, 608 to 605, uh, the ascension of wicked uh, Jehoiakim and the year of battle of, I don't even know how to pronounce that, but we see... Josiah dies, and um, King Jehoshaphat only lived, makes it three months, and then Jehoiakim uh, is put into place. And so this is where things start to get really weird, um, particularly with with the with Judah. And we look at it, and like, so they left Egypt. There's all that thing about how they wanted to go back, and, and all this, but somehow along the line in here, they've teamed up with Egypt for for security and to help. And so it's like, I thought that they were done with Egypt, but we see Egypt kind of come back in the scene, and we see Babylon and in Egypt, they're wrestling back and forth with each other. Um, but in this, Jehoahaz uh, is put in the, as a king, and then they take him out real fast. Egypt does, and puts Jehoiakim in place. Uh, and so when they're underneath the Egyptian rule, there's a little bit of an issue, because the whole time that... Um, the Jeremiah's been on the scene, he keeps saying Babylon's going to come in and conquer. So there's there's a tension that's forming that's that's there of, hey, uh, I, you know, I'm going to say this, and these people are like, well, no, Egypt's the one that's really helping us out. Um, particularly, there's a, a season in which uh, the people of Judah look at it and say, hey, you know, one of the reasons that we're always going to be safe is because we have this thing called the temple. As long as we have the temple, we're going to be safe. And uh, in chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, we see a definition of that, of how they basically, like the Lord calls them out and says, hey, you keep saying that you have the temple, you keep saying that you have the temple, but in it, the Lord's like, I, it, that's all going to get destroyed. Like, that's that's not, your hearts are in the wrong place. You're, you're not resting in me. Um, then we, um, we see running out of time very fast. We, we keep seeing more and more of this. Uh, then we see that there's a year, um, we go on to 605 to 597. There's a there's some more battle here. Uh, we see that um, the 
the Babylonians come in, they kind of take over Egypt, all this, uh, they, in, in the midst of all this, um, we see Zedekiah is put into, into power. Uh, Zedekiah is uh, the last one uh, in power uh, there. And so he's, he's there, and uh, he's, a, he's a really terrible king. He's probably one of the worst in the southern kingdom of, of just being kind of like a spineless whatever. So there's some weird um, examples uh, in, in that time period. There's another, another time in which uh, some people are taken off to Babylon. Um, but he was he was a puppet that just kind of hung out there and, and never really listened. Um, and in that, Jeremiah continues to say, hey, you, you, you really need to let just be okay with the Babylonians. You don't need to do this back and forth. They look at, uh, at that, um, and then there's the whole well scene. You can some of the stuff kind of mixed in there. Um, but then at the end, Zedekiah basically... He's, he's the puppet king. He's supposed to be there for Babylonians, but then uh, all of a sudden he starts saying, you know what, we don't really need this. What we're going to do is we're going to go back to kind of Egypt and we'll, we'll hopefully get some, some protection within. There's some weird dialogue that happens there. Um, but then uh, particularly the people look at, like they've got all these slaves that are Israelites, and they're like, hey, if we release them, maybe the Babylonians won't, won't capture us. And so they release their slaves, and as soon as they do that, like they get... Babylonians get afraid of the Egyptian slaves, and they turn around and like go away. But then, as soon as that happens, and they're like, "Hey, the Babylonians are gone," they enslave their people again. So it's like this again. It shows the the heart and just this a sad kind of back and forth. And then finally, at the end, um, there's this. Okay, we're we're just going to come in, and, and they conquer them. Uh, we see that um, that at, at eight, uh, 586, the fall of Jerusalem. All these things uh, come to an end, uh, and Jeremiah was, uh, he wanted to stay. Uh, he was treated with a lot of respect by the, by the Babylonians, uh, and so they just let him, they let him stay. He was the only one that was really given that option, and so he's, he's hanging out there. There was, uh, there was a, a good ruler that was there, but he got killed really quickly, uh, and then all of a sudden, all the Israelites there are like, uh, or the, the people in the southern kingdom are, are really... Like, oh, this is going to go bad for us. So they, they all exit uh, and go to Egypt, which seems like that's where we kind of started in the beginning uh, with this whole exile and everything. And so they, they take Jeremiah unwillingly to Egypt, and that's uh, where he ends up dying. Um, but there's, they don't, we don't know how he died. There's a lot of uh, different ideas there. But that's Jeremiah in a very awkward nutshell. Um, so with that, uh, we'll try and look at Lamentations. Um, Lamentations, I think, is, is particularly interesting. Uh, it's Jeremiah. It's basically his lament over everything that's that's gone wrong uh, over the past uh, different uh, couple things. There's there's a whole lot of, um, I guess you would say, uh, kind of where there's there's a lot that goes into the writing of it uh, that we would a lot of times overlook in the English language because we don't really see it. Uh, I, in myself, like I, I don't understand a lot of um, different languages in the, particularly the, the artsy side of the English language. And so, as we read through, there's he uses acrostic devices. There's even a meter. Uh, and I was listening to somebody that was basically they, they're like, here's the meter in which. But if if you were reading it uh, in in the Hebrew and you were following along and using the meter. 
uh, the first couple chapters, there's this kind of wailing that goes on. And then as the meter changes and it turns into more of uh, a crying or just kind of this, this, this uh, kind of panting, like, you know, what do we do? And then at the end, it just kind of moves into the silence of uh, there's just this prayer. And so Lamentations is, is pretty straightforward and that it's a lament over the destruction of, of Israel and all the different things that have gone in it. Um, and then uh, one of the interesting things is later in synagogues when they read uh, Lamentations, they, they never end with uh, 522. They actually end with 521 because they don't want to leave on a bad note. So you can go back and read that, which I think is wrong. But it's the, the end is full of promise, but they're like, hey, we, we don't, we don't want to do that. Uh, Obadiah is our last one, uh, and that's as we as we go through that really quickly. We see um, that he uh, is. It's a very short book, um, the one who serves Yahweh. Um, but this is particularly dealing with the the Edomites that have been out there and they're watching at a distance and they're basically taking pleasure. It's like they're Jonah up on the hill watching Nineveh getting destroyed, uh, and these are all descendants of Esau. And um, basically, Obadiah comes on the scene to declare, uh, "No, these these things are gonna uh, these are, are gonna happen, and judgment's not just coming for for God's people, but it's coming for all the nations." Um, so that's that's our lesson for today. I'm gonna <laughs> let me close this in prayer, uh, and then we'll, um, we'll head on to worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the ways in which you have protected us, the ways in which you've guided us, uh, the ways in which you have um, continued to, to faithfully move through your word. We pray that uh, as we hear it preached uh, today, Lord, we pray that you would be with Rick. We pray that you would give him strength and endurance uh, to preach um, in, to a new pulpit and to a new people. Lord, we pray that you would um, that you would bless uh, your people through it. pray that you would allow uh, generation after generation to, to follow your word. And Lord, may we be nourished and encouraged by it. In an awesome name we pray. Amen.